0: Welcome to the Grace Vineyard Podcast, where we are building growing communities of worshipers who are becoming like Christ, empowered to do His work. We hope you enjoy this message. This morning, about an hour and a half ago, I was drawn to a really well-known verse in the Bible, Hebrews 4.12 that says this the word of God is living and active sharper than any double edged sword it penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit joints and marrow it judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight Everything is uncovered and laid be, bare before the eyes of Him to whom we must give an account. This morning I have a rather ambitious menu of Scripture for you. I um, want to say thank you to the, to the crew in the back who must have been feverishly typing to put it all into the computer because, you know, they usually put li- the Scriptures on the screen. There's a lot, and I don't know that I'll be able to get To it all, I hope I will, because I put together, as I said, a large menu of scripture. We're going to read a lot of the Bible. This is a Christian church, right? Uh, And you believe in the Bible, right? Okay. And uh, Amy was referring to how the Word of God instructs and informs and transforms. So we're going to do that today. From time to time, we do well to remind ourselves of certain core values. for us as a church, for us as a part of the movement of the Vineyard Churches, for us as Christians. And today, I'm going to pull open the scriptures to look at a very core value, which has to do with a heart of compassion, especially for the poor, the needy, the oppressed, the followless, the widows, refugees, immigrants, what we were just seeing with um, Operation Christmas Child. Okay, who was able to keep a dry eye during the Operation Christmas Child video? That would be not many of us. Man, that moved me. That story of the guy from Kosovo. And then to see the pictures of his city during the war at his time, and think that's happening right now in the Middle East again. God has a heart of compassion. And we're going to open the scriptures to talk about that. Maybe we should pray. Lord, we've just read that your word is like a sharp sword that can divide between soul and spirit, that will cut and reveal the attitudes of our hearts. We pray with faith, according to your word, that your word will do that today to us, that you will instruct us, you will also reveal to us our heart attitudes, you'll train us, you'll inspire us. You'll transform us. We come with faith as we approach your word. Thank you, Lord. Amen. So, it is a core value in the scriptures and in our church and in our movement of churches, the Vineyard, to have a heart for the poor. And I'm, I'm not sure, some of you might be sort of new to this and might not know that it's all through the scriptures from the Old Testament to the New Testament that God cares and has compassion for those who are oppressed, especially with the sense of some other force coming and pressing down to make somewhat completely or at least somewhat powerless to meet their own needs. You know, that would be the case of someone like a child caught in war, living in a refugee camp. In that place, that person is powerless to meet their own needs. They need assistance. And God has a huge heart for that situation. In our the, When the Vineyard Movement was getting running and going, and our first national director and the person who really organized and brought us into a movement, a guy named John Wimber, Uh, got things going, one of his primary concerns was ministry to the poor. And he would say things like, if you are, as a church, to churches, if you're not going to minister to the poor, then just take the name Vineyard off your building, because that's what we do. And he, he would say that we had two kind of foundational things. There's even a drawing of a, of a guy with one leg and the other leg as like pillars of what we were built on. And they were compassion, or I'm sorry, they were worship and compassion. Sometimes the word mercy replacing compassion, but worship and compassion are foundations for who we are and what we do. Worship and compassion. So... We're going to talk a bit from the scriptures about God's heart of compassion for the poor. But I just, by way of conversation, getting our minds going, you know, it's almost interesting when we, when we have a little dialogue. What are some reasons that you think, personally, or you've seen in other people, people are reluctant to get involved in caring for the poor, either giving money Or getting their life involved somehow with their time and energy. What are some reasons that people are reluctant? What what are you going to say? Oh, God did not give us a spirit of fear. Fear uh, So fear could be a reason. You're you're afraid somehow of getting involved with this other community that you don't understand. Okay, what's another reason? Oh, you don't want to have an attitude of judgment. You think, wow, well if I help someone I might then be saying I think I'm better than them. Interesting, James. What, what else? Enablement. Okay, so there's a sense that this person has made choices that has resulted in trouble. If I help them, this is coming from an understanding of recovery especially. If I help someone who keeps doing things that get them in trouble, then I prevent them from experiencing the results of their choices, and I'm enabling them to continue to hurt themselves. So you're thinking, oh, I don't want to be an enabler, so I'm just going to back up. Say that again. Oh, we we feel like I don't know what to do. I'm not equipped. I don't I don't know where to start. What do I do? That's a good that's a good attitude. That's reality. I think, I think ego, ego. ego. How ego? Okay, kind of a little bit judgment attitude. They got themselves there. Get themselves out of there. Okay. I don't have the gift. Yes, yeah, someone else has a gift of mercy. My gift is something else. <laughs> My gift is couch sitting. <laughs> really? Which um, is that in Third Corinthians? <laughs> couch sitting. Okay, That will be a different sermon. <laughs> Apathy. How about this one? Have you, Have you ever seen where um, some people run a scam, and they're actually not poor, but they pretend to be poor. So they scam people out of their money. So some people are afraid of being scammed. And then another one I think is common is people open their wallet and say, well, my wallet's empty. I got, I got nothing to give. I've got bills to pay, you know. So I think our minds just got engaged. Now we're going to look to some scripture. And I've called this... Talk the wisdom of compassion because the primary source of our talk today is going to be from the book of Proverbs. Proverbs is a book of wisdom sayings. As far as I know, they were mostly collected by a king of Israel in order to teach leaders in Israel how to be wise leaders. I think it was, a, I'm not positive, but I think it was especially written for those who would be in positions of authority and leadership, so they would know what God thinks about leadership. But it applies to us all. And I need to give credit. I, I was at a conference many years ago. I, can't, I couldn't find where it was. It might have been in the late 90s early 2000s. So almost 25 years ago, I was at the Anaheim Vineyard, and there was a workshop that I decided to go to, and there was a pastor that I'd never heard of from Michigan who made a, gave a talk that really impacted me. And it might have been called the Wisdom of Compassion, but he went through the Proverbs. His name was Ray Beefus. Some old vineyard people might know that name. I didn't know him, but I remember his name because it was so unusual, Ray Beefus. And he went through the Proverbs and just cut to my heart. So some of what I'm going to read, I need to give credit to him so I'm not a plagiarizer. Okay. Um, if, if I were to try to give this talk a one sentence, it would be this. Wise people understand God's heart of compassion and make it their own. Wise people understand God's heart of compassion and make it their own. And and let me just say this, I didn't create like notes or handouts and sometimes people say, oh, I wish you had notes because you said so many words and so many scriptures. If you text me, email me in any of the ways that come to the church office, I'll get it. I will create notes for you and mail them to you. Those who ask, receive. Those who don't ask, don't receive. So, just so you know, if you care to learn more, you care to read these scriptures again. I'll bring them to you. So, we're going to start by looking at some Old Testament thoughts. Um, as God created the nation of Israel, he he put he baked into the the dough, as it were, of who they would be, an understanding, a heart of compassion, and so if you've read the book of deuteronomy in the bible the fifth book of the bible um, what's happening there is the children of israel are finally about to enter the promised land and moses takes them through a review of everything they've been learning the last 40 years and here's from that that book chapter 10 Moses is reminding them of the time he went up to the mountain and he received the Ten Commandments and got the covenant that he shared with them. He's reviewing that. He says these words, To the Lord your God belong the heavens, even the highest heavens, the earth and everything in it. Yet the Lord set his affection on you, on your forefathers, and loved them. And he chose you, their descendants, above all the nations as it is today. Circumcise your hearts, therefore, and do not be stiff necked any longer. For your Lord God is a God of gods, Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. Now, with all that, listen to his character. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow, and loves the alien or the immigrant giving them food and clothing. And you are to love those who are aliens or immigrants. For you yourselves were aliens in Egypt. And that will come up over and over in the Torah, the instructions. Don't forget, you were oppressed. I set you free. Now join me in setting others free. Compassionate heart of God. Later on in that same book, he says this, if there's a poor man among your brothers in any of the towns of the land the Lord your God has given you, Do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted. That would be for me to hear today. Do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted toward poor people in my land. Rather, be open-handed and freely lend him whatever he needs. The word of God is sharper than a two-edged sword. It reveals the heart. (laughs) Be careful not to harbor this wicked thought. The seventh year, the year for canceling debts near, so that you do not show ill will toward your needy brother and give him nothing. If that didn't make sense to you, let me just describe a moment. There was in the social laws of Israel a year of jubilee, a seven-year cancellation of all the debts. God wanted them to know the land you're on is mine I'm letting you live there. You guys can loan money to each other, but every seven years, you forgive the debts and everything goes back to the original owners that I gave to in the first place. And he's saying, when you're getting close to that seven-year thing, don't think, well, I don't want to lend this bro any money because like next year I have to cancel the debt. So he's saying, don't do that. He may then appeal to the Lord against you and you'll be found guilty of a sin. Give generously to him without a grudging heart. Then, because of this, the Lord will bless you in all your work and in everything you put your hand to. There will always be poor people in your land. Therefore, I command you to be open-handed toward your brothers and toward the poor and needy in your land. So another scripture. Now we're in Leviticus, where there's laws for how they would run their society. And in Leviticus 19 There's laws for the farmers, which is almost everybody because it's an agricultural society. When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of the harvest. Do not go over your vineyard a second time to pick up the grapes that have fallen. Now, see, that would be, we would think, good stewardship, right? You have a harvest. Don't waste anything. But God says, no, you do waste something. Leave the edges. Leave those extra things that fell. Leave them for the poor and the immigrant. Alien. I am the Lord. In Deuteronomy 14, we read about one of the tithes or 10% proclamations, laws, instructions. At the end of every three years, bring all the tithes of that year's produce. And store it in your town so that the Levites, who have no allotment or inheritance of their own, in other words, they didn't get any land so they couldn't have their own crops. And the immigrants, again, the aliens, the fatherless, the widows. If you read the Old Testament, you're going to see those three people groups over and over mentioned by God. Immigrants, fatherless, or orphans, and widows. Those are people who need assistance. They are somewhat powerless to meet their own needs. So God says, you watch out for those people and you care for them. And much of the judgment of God came because Israel was not always doing that. The aliens, the fathers, of the widows who live in your towns may come and eat and be satisfied, and so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the works of your hands. That was just, just a touch that you would see you know, the heart of God's compassion for those in need for the nation of Israel. Now Jesus comes along, we jump to the New Testament, and he preaches and he in, involves himself and responds over and over with people who need assistance. Sick, diseased, poor, fatherless, widows, those that are outcast. Here's how Jesus began his ministry. He said, quoting Isaiah the prophet, "The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to what's the first target of this anointing preach good news to the poor do you ever pause just stop there and think preach good news to the poor why why the poor because they're overlooked so often the spirit of the lord god is upon me the messiah because he's anointed me to god the father has anointed me to preach good news to the poor and he goes on he sent me to proclaim freedom for prisoners another group that's powerless Recovery of Sight for the Blind, another group that needs help from an outside source, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now we, we could do a whole talk for a while on oppression and how that can refer to, just in general, an authority who uses their power to oppress the weak. And injure them. And then we could think spiritually who the great oppressor is, the spirit behind all oppression in the world, Satan himself. We could go through the fact that Jesus is said, well, it's said of Jesus that the Son of Man was manifest for this reason this is 1 John 3 8, that he might destroy the works of the evil one or the works of Satan. He was made manifest. The Messiah came to destroy the works of the evil one. And the works of oppression. There's a whole topic there on the spiritual realm. But we won't go there today because of time. <laughs> Maybe another time. Once Jesus was invited to a really fancy dinner at the home of a Pharisee. And he noticed how everyone was jockeying for position. Who's going to sit in the seat that has the most attention, the seat of honor? And Jesus made some comments about that. And then he said this. You still with me? Am I telling you too many scriptures? Let this get in your heart. I wonder if you've ever in your life done what he's about to instruct. When you give a luncheon or a dinner, don't invite your friends. Don't invite your brothers, your relatives, especially don't invite your rich neighbors. If you do, they might invite you back. And you're like, well, that was the point. That's why I invited them so they'd invite me back. And she says, no, don't do that. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. That's a quick overview of two Old Testament New Testament. I, I, I don't think I put it in my notes, but i got to mention it, and I mentioned it in my email to you. Paul the Apostle decides to go to Jerusalem to meet with the apostles, the first apostles, to get in, to, to put before them what he's been teaching. This is Galatians chapter 2 he writes about this. And he says, I went and I presented them my gospel, and they said, we agree. Your gospel is right on. And they also agreed that he was sent to the Gentiles, and they were the Jews. And he said, they just asked one thing of me. The apostles... Of Jesus asked only one thing of Paul, and that was that he would remember the poor. That's that's phenomenal. Like, what's the one thing you guys have in mind? Oh, take care of the poor. I don't know. Did you realize that was that big of a deal to the apostles? Take care of the poor. I would think make sure you get the gospel of grace down. They need to know it's by by faith through grace, not by works. They didn't say that. They said, You got that right, but remember the poor. That should impact me. Okay, so we're now going to go to what I said we would go to primarily the Proverbs. You still good? Okay. So I'm going to make, if I get through it all, seven statements as I read through these. I'm going to say wise people and then complete a sentence. So here's the first one. Wise people have a right attitude toward the poor. Someone mentioned this regarding enablement, some other thoughts. It is true that some are in an impoverished or poor or needy state because of laziness or even foolishness. But many are in an impoverished state because of family inheritance or the injustice of this world. Have you figured out yet that the world is not fair? It's just not fair. Well, many are victims of the unfairness of the world. So, Proverbs says this, A poor man's field may produce abundant food, but injustice sweeps it away. Wow. Who are the poor of the world today? Well, um, there's a definition that organizations make. I read last night that the current definition updated in 2019 Is the extremely poor are those who live on, you ready for this? $2.15 a day. That's pretty poor. People that live like that is about 10% of the world's population. 10%? It's about 700 million in 2019. Are trying to survive on two dollars and fifteen cents a day. World Vision, that organization that serves the poor around the world, estimates that 50 million people in the world are facing today starvation, that is like you're gonna die from lack of food, 50 million and half of them are children. In America there is a classification called the working poor, which is about 34 million people roughly live beneath the United States poverty line. And working poor are people who have, by definition, worked 27 weeks in a year and still are poor. So there are people who have jobs, who are not lazy, who are working, and they're still Beneath the United States poverty line, they're struggling. You've run into them. If you stayed at a hotel recently, you probably saw them in the hallway getting ready to clean your room. They're probably working hard, maybe two jobs, but they're not surviving, or they're barely surviving. Often they're a single mom. There's someone whose situation, however they got into their situation, is such that they are on the edge of being homeless. Or maybe they're sleeping in their car tonight. They are around us, but they're largely invisible. Um, they are the people where they, they do have a car, but if, if they have a car problem, blown head gasket, it's, that's going to put them over the edge. They have no way to take care of that problem. And now they're carless. Now they can't get to work. Right? There are people around us, maybe in the millions in that situation. That's, that's the poor that we are working with, and wise people have a right attitude toward the poor. They may have gotten there just because of the family they were born into. Uh, The first time I went, I'm just checking my memory. I think, yeah, this the first time I really went and spent time in a third world, as they're called, or developing country, was when I went to the Philippines. Um, I went to several islands in the Philippines in the 1980s. And I met beautiful people who loved the Lord just like me, who worked hard, harder than me. And many were absolutely on the edge of complete poverty. Very poor people. And it struck me. Well, also there were people who were in severe danger because of Al-Qaeda at the time. We went to the island of Mindanao, the lower large island in the Philippines. We visited a church we're just recently at. That church Al-Qaeda people came in and murdered the pastor of the church in front of the congregation. And we were ministering there. And it occurred to me, Ron, these people are just like you. You could be here, but you're not. And I don't know why God chose them to be here and me not to be there. But he chose me to be where I am with all of the resources that I have. And I started to understand I have been given resource to interact with those who have a American resource. So together we can meet each other's needs and I can learn from them and they can learn from me and I can provide for them physical needs, they can provide for me spiritual needs and together something great happens. But I realized there's no difference between that person and me. They just were born there. Wise people understand that. Last week I showed you the video of that young boy, Gift Lambe, who was born in Zambia. And his parents both died because of the situation there. He's he's born into a situation of extreme poverty. He was living in the toilet of a school. You remember watching that video? And then a priest found him and then took him to the police station. And the police station took him to the social services. And the social services called Breath of Heaven, which connected him with us. And now Gift and his sister, who were orphaned without hope and without food, are now living in a home that you and I support. Because God cares for the poor. God has a big heart of compassion. Wise people understand that. Wise people understand this. The poor are shunned by their neighbors, but we know that's a sin. Proverbs 14. Sorry, projector people. I know I skipped ahead of a couple verses, but... (laughs) you want me to go back and read those? Let's read those. Proverbs 22.2. Rich and poor have this in common, the Lord is maker of them all. That's that wise people understand they're just like me. Here's Job. Did not with its work clothes on. So compassion is the, the sense of feeling, caring with those who hurt you hurt with them. Kindness is when you put your work clothes on and do something about it. Kindness is an honor to God to the poor. So, let me just say this about kindness. You still with me? Okay. I, being a can-do, solve-problem American thinker, which is part of our kind of worldview, that's, that's a good part of our culture. We solve problems. I often have fallen into the trap thinking, well, if I don't solve this person's problem, i failed. I've got to get to the solution. Michelle's going, trust the process, right? (laughs) But that's not completely true because kindness alone is a huge solution and it might be the solution that's needed more than what you think is solving the functional problem. Here, let me quote from Mother Teresa who gave her life to care for the poorest of the poor, the sick and dying, the lepers on the streets in India. She said, there's much suffering in the world, physical, material, mental. The suffering of some can be blamed on the greed of others. The material and physical suffering is suffering from hunger, from homelessness, from all kinds of diseases. But the greatest suffering is being lonely, feeling unloved, having no one, I have come more and more to realize that it is being unwanted that is the worst disease that any human being can never experience. Remember how I said some of us avert our eyes from making connection with the poor? Have you ever felt invisible? Have you ever entered a crowded room and you think, no one sees me, and it feels awful, Imagine living your life where everyone that can possibly make you invisible ignores you, looks away, and you're left invisible in your need. Kindness and the wisdom of compassion says, I'm gonna do something about that. So wise people take time out of their schedule, their busy, 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 busy schedule, to make time for the poor and needy, to show kindness, to give attention, to look in the eye, to listen, to give a listening ear, to care. And that doesn't solve the money problem, but it solves the heart problem. And that might be the biggest problem of all. Listen to Job. Now, Job was called by God a righteous man, and God took Job before Satan and said, Look at Job. Is he not awesome? Right? Job was an awesome guy. Here's what Job said about this topic. If I have denied the desires of the poor or let the eyes of the widow grow weary, if I've kept my bread to myself, not sharing it with the fatherless, But from my youth I reared him as would a father, and from my birth I guided the widow. If I've seen anyone perishing for lack of clothing or a needy man without a garment, and his heart did not bless me for warming him with the fleece from my sheep, if I've raised my hand against the fatherless, knowing that I had influence in court, then let my arm fall from the shoulder. Let it be broken off at the joint, for I dreaded destruction from God, and for fear of his splendor I could not do such things... A couple of sentences later, he summarizes, then these also would be sins to be judged, for I would have been faith, unfaithful to God on high. He understood this righteous man that he cared for, gave time to, gave attention to, gave energy to, gave resource to, gave influence to, ministering to the needs of the poor, wisdom Um, just another thing from Mother Teresa she said don't worry about numbers like oh look at all this problem I can't solve it all so I'll get frozen paralysis of analysis she said don't do that never worry about numbers help one person at a time and start with the person nearest you just start so another wise people Finish the sentence or finish the sentence. Wise people are generous to the poor and needy. Proverbs twenty two nine. A generous man will himself be blessed, for he shares his food with the poor. Proverbs twenty eight twenty seven. He who gives to the poor will lack nothing, but he who closes his eyes to them receives many curses. Proverbs thirty one ten. And 20, this is that section of Scripture that refers to the wise woman. A wife of noble character who can find she is worth more than rubies than in the description of her, she opens her arms to the poor and extends her hands to the needy. How are we doing? We're okay. Okay, let me just say, let me just inter- interrupt myself with this thought. I understand that ministry to... People in need is complicated. And I'm not trying to solve any of the complications today. I'm just trying to give us a heart of compassion. I know when it gets down on the ground, there are questions and issues to be solved and answered. And I'm, I am not acting like they're not difficult questions. But I'm not answering those questions today. I'm just addressing my heart, okay? Okay, back to this. I want to read something from a historian. This is a guy named Rodney Stark. He's a historian and a sociologist who talks about how the early church grew so rapidly in the Roman Empire. He says this, a little known fact is that Christians in the ancient world had a longer life expectancy than did their pagan neighbors. In fact, many pagans were attracted to the Christian faith because the church produced tangible blessings for its adherents. These benefits included social services, health services, women's rights, urban sanctuary. In a world entirely lacking in social services, Christians were their brother's keepers. At the end of the second century, Tertullian wrote that "...while pagan temples spend their donations on feasts and drinking bouts, Christians spent theirs to support and bury poor people, to supply the wants of boys and girls destitute of needs and parents and of old persons confined to the house. Similarly, in a letter to the Bishop of Antioch in the year 251, the Bishop of Rome mentioned that more than 1,500 widows and distressed persons were in the care of his congregations. This charity was confirmed by the pagan observers also." Here's a quote. The impious Galileans, in other words, they don't worship our pagan gods, so they're impious, those, those Christians, support not only their poor, noted Emperor Julian of all people, but ours as well. When two great plagues swept the empire in 165 and 251, mortality rates climbed higher than 30%. Pagans tried to avoid all contact with the afflicted, often casting the still living into the gutters. Christians nursed the sick, even though some believers died doing so. We now know that elementary nursing, simply giving victims food and water without any drugs, reduces mortality in epidemics by as much as two-thirds. Consequently, Christians were much more likely than pagans to recover. Greco-Roman Greco- cities were terribly overpopulated. Antioch and Syria, for example, had a population density of about 117 habits, inhabitants per acre. That's more than three times of New York City today. Tenement cubicles were smoky, dark, often damp, and always dirty. On the street, mud, open sewers, manure lay everywhere. Newcomers and strangers divided into many ethnic groups. They harbored antagonism that often erupted into riots. For these ills, Christianity offered a unifying subculture, bridging divisions, providing a strong sense of community. To cities filled with the homeless and impoverished, Christianity provided hope and charity. To cities filled with newcomers and strangers, Christianity offered an immediate fellowship. To cities filled with orphans and widows, Christians Christianity provided a new and expanded sense of family. And he says, that's some of the reason why this strange little small religion, by its practice, blew up and took over the Roman Empire. Because they cared for the poor, in a word. I'm going to read you another quote. You still, we're good, right? Okay, this is a quote from the famous preacher Charles Spurgeon. He's preaching in his church, and I, if you've been around for years, you've heard me quote this one, because I always quote it. It gives I'll try not to cry. This is Charles Spurgeon preaching to his church in London in the year 1869 on October 24th. He said, these places of worship are not built that you may sit here comfortably and hear something that shall make you pass away your Sundays with pleasure. A church in London which does not exist to do good in the slums and dens and kennels of the city is a church which has no reason to justify its longer existing. Like, you preach it, Charles. A church that does not exist to reclaim heathenism, to fight with evil, to destroy error, to put down falsehood. A church that does not exist to take the side of the poor, to denounce injustice, to uphold righteousness is a church that has no right to be. Not for thyself, O church, dost thou exist, any more than Christ existed for himself. His glory was that he laid aside his glory, and the glory of the church is when she lays aside her respectability and her dignity and counts it to be her glory to gather together the outcasts and her highest honor to seek amid the foulest mire, the priceless jewels for which Jesus shed his blood to rescue souls from hell and lead to God, to hope, to heaven. This is her heavenly occupation. Oh, that the church would always feel this. Let her have her bishops and her preachers. Let them be supported and let everything done but for Christ's sake decently and in order. But let the end be looked to, namely the conversion of the wondering, the teaching of the ignorant, the help of the poor, the maintenance of the right, the putting down of the wrong, the upholding of all hazards of the crown and the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. He was quite a preacher, huh? Uh, So far from the Proverbs, I've said the wise have a right attitude to the poor. Wise people understand they're just like us. Wise people are kind to the poor. Wise people take time out of their busy schedules and make time for poor and needy. Wise people are generous to the poor and needy. Now one last one. From the Proverbs, wise people take up the cause of the poor. Proverbs 22.22, do not exploit the poor because they are poor and do not crush the needy in court. For the Lord will take up their case and will plunder those who plunder them. 29.7, the righteous care about justice for the poor. But the wicked have no such concern. Proverbs 31.8, speak up. For those who cannot speak for themselves. For the rights of all who are destitute. Speak destitute, speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and the needy. I told you we had an ambitious menu of scripture. <laughs> I'm going to read some more. This is Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Talking about the end times. He says, then the king will say to those in his right, come you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. Let me just pause. Wise people understand that ministry to the poor is ministry to Jesus. I was hungry. And you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, you invited me in. I needed clothes, you clothed me, I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came and visited me. The righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in? Needing clothes, clothing you. When did we see you in prison and go visit you? The king will reply, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers, you did for me. See, wise people understand that one day we will give an account for what we did with all of the resource that God has entrusted to us. Not all of you are in my state, but I can tell you at this point in my rich life as an American, I live in a house. And it's a good-sized suburban American house. There's rooms for all my kids. There's even rooms for a guest, and there's an office. Each of us has a car. Each of us has a job. We never go without a meal unless we choose to. And one day, I will give an account for what I did with all that resource. If I'm wise, I understand that day is coming. And the king will look at me and say, this is what you did and this is what you didn't do. Wise people look to the future and invest wisely. Because they know a day of accountability is coming. Did I just get too serious for us? Keep it real. real. Okay. The last of my scriptures. I'm going to be amazed. Matt, we, we read all of them. Can you believe this? The last of our scripture bath today. The prophet Isaiah is bringing some correction to the people of Israel. And he's speaking in the voice of God. So this is the Lord speaking. and He says, is not this the kind of fasting I've chosen? He's talking to a people that did religious kind of things and wanted some results from God for their religious things. He said, is this not the kind of fasting I've chosen? To loose the chains of injustice, to untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked to clothe them and to not turn away from your own flesh and blood, then... Your light will break forth like the dawn, and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you, and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call, and the Lord will answer. And you'll cry for help, and you'll say, here am I. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the point of the finger, with malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves on the hungry... I have to have to pause and say, have I ever spent myself on the hungry? Am I wise? Do I look around? Around my world or around you know, we we can now do this globally. I can send money all over the world. I found resources to do it, and I, I pretty regularly am sending money in places it's easy to do now. But do I spend myself? Do I stop my busy schedule and go find someone and spend myself in time and energy? Have you ever done it? I don't do it all the time, but I have done it. I've I've stopped and said, "What, what do you need? Oh, you need to go here. Okay, get in my car. I'll change my schedule and take you there. Oh, you have dogs? Okay, they can get in the car too. Have you ever done that? Oh... You're somewhat inebriated and you just peed all over my floor. I guess I'll clean that up. I've done that one. Because I was showing care to someone who, in some cases, was somewhat responsible for their situation. But at that moment, I was thinking, I'm just going to be present and listen and love and be kind to the poor. You spend, where was I? (laughs) I interrupted the word of God. Lord, have mercy. If you do awake away with the yoke of oppression, with the point of the finger, with malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in darkness, and then your night will become like the noonday. So that is the end of our little scriptural tour I started out by reading Hebrews 4. The Word of God is alive. It's sharp like a sword. It reveals the thoughts and intents of the heart. It divides between soul and spirit. Perhaps, as we've been reading God's Word today, we've been challenged. We've been instructed. Perhaps we've been transformed. We have a promise that if we spend ourselves on the poor, if we, if we give to the poor, that the God of the heavens and the earth will give to us, will spend himself on us because we've joined him in his cause. This is a core value of our church. This is a core value of our movement, the Vineyard. But most importantly, this is a core value of what it means to be the people of God. And I felt that today I ought to remind us of this. Because if we become a people who individually spend ourselves on the poor and the needy and the oppressed, God's light will shine on us. And we will find that what Jesus the Lord said is true. It is more blessed to give than to receive. It actually is a bigger blessing to be a giver. It is a blessing to be a receiver. But it's even a bigger blessing to be a giver. Lord, we we do a selah like we did in worship now. Holy Spirit we invite you to examine our hearts and we exa- we invite you to challenge us to transform us to inspire us to join your work of setting free those who have been held captive by so many things use us to be blessing to that segment of the population of our world who are poor, who are needy, who are oppressed. Use us to be those who lift up those who've been held down, to take up the cause of the poor, to be generous, to have a right attitude. Ultimately, Lord, we pray that we would understand your heart of compassion and make it our own. Have your way with us, God. And I pray, Lord, that none of us will leave today going, well, that was interesting. Now let's move on. But that we will each have a transformation in our very lifestyles so that we can join you in your incredible work of blessing. We know that as children of faith, we've become children of Abraham called to be a blessing to every part of this planet use us to bless this world. We pray all these things in Jesus name. Amen. Now, the worship band's going to come up like they always do, and they're going to worship Jesus and invite us to join them. We're going to have people that are at the front ready to pray for each other. Some of you have needs. And it's your time now to receive. Physically, spiritually, emotionally. Some of you have been challenged today. And you're thinking, I need now to put something into practice in my life. It would be good to come and have someone pray with you. You pray with them, they pray with you. Some of you just need to spend some time kneeling before the Lord, listening to him. All of that is available right now in this moment. I want to say a blessing over you, but not so that you'll leave just so that I will be complete with my part with you. (laughs) And we'll continue in this. if you have, by the way, this question, what should I do, Ron? Come and ask me. I'll have some ways. I'll have some thoughts. You certainly can give your money. That's the easiest thing. The harder thing is to give your time. But you can. There's opportunities all around you. But now may the Lord himself bless you. Mm -hmm. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord lift his countenance upon you and give you rest. May the Lord pour his spirit upon you to empower you to live like Jesus in our world. May the Lord pour his spirit upon you to impart to you the character of Jesus himself. May the Lord pour his spirit upon you to empower you with gifts of healing, gifts of compassion, gifts of mercy. All of the gifts of God himself to be his arms his hands, his feet, his eyes, his mouth, his heart of compassion and love and restoration in our world, the Lord bless you, in Jesus' name, amen. We hope you've enjoyed this message. This weekly podcast is available on our website, gracevcf.org where you can learn more about Grace Vineyard and our vision for people everywhere to know and worship God.